welcome to Film Talk, a show where two gals talk film, television, and everything in between the reels. I'm your host, Ileana Melendez, head of marketing and a critic here at FullCircleCinema.com, and I am joined today, as usual, by my lovely co-host, Miss Josie Melendez. Hello. Hi. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about one of this weekend's um, big releases, uh, aside from WandaVision, we're going to be talking about Disney's latest offering of animated films, Raya and the Last Dragon. Now, this is, I believe, their first, their very first um, Disney princess, uh, war- warrior princess film inspired by Southeast Asian culture. Um, it mm. follows a girl who lives in this, n- further into the film, a dystopian land, uh, looking for the last bit of the last dragon, essentially, which you know the title explain is pretty straightforward and self-explanatory. But it, it it goes deeper. It's a little deeper than that, and it does have you know. You, we're gonna dive into this this world because it is very much, and you're probably gonna hear a lot of this. Um, it is very much fantasy world building epic. It's kind yes. of, it, it, it's, it gives, it, it's giving me a little Avatar, it's giving me a little Lord of the Rings, you know, all, mm-hmm. all that jazz. It, it's, it's that kind of adventure movie, um, perfectly uh, adapt for uh, children and adults to enjoy. And yeah. a lot, it's, it's had some mixed reviews, but I think the, the overall reaction for this one has been pretty positive. Um, aside from mm-hmm. the the representation, obviously, um, story wise, I, I think it's we're gonna get into it. But overall, yeah. it's it's a good like movie. overall. Rotten Tomatoes ninety five. If I'm not mistaken, it should still humble. be at ninety five. <laughs> yeah, very humble and, numbers. <laughs> and a cinema score of A. There we go. So yeah, definitely uh, Disney doesn't miss. Um, and. We're, we're gonna get into that as well it does feel a little formulaic but again Disney hasn't missed with their formula so why would they break what isn't broke so mm-hmm. wait no that's not the same why would they fix what isn't broke there we yeah. go <laughs> keeping that in so yeah Josie um, was able to see this a little bit earlier and she has been ruminating <laughs> for the past yes. what two weeks now we almost two weeks uh, with this film and has some thoughts so why don't you kick us off today with the discussion okay <laughs> so I yeah, really right. love the film uh, clearly of course I think like very controversial because I do not believe anyone should spend $30 for a film but if it's not you if you're gonna watch it with um friends or something $30 is worth it if you can yeah (laughs) if you can group watch there's also group watch. yes there's the group watch yeah Disney Disney's doing the work for you there are also drive-in movie theaters if you feel comfortable enough to go to a movie theater and have a safe experience, wear your mask. Also, that's an option. I think this film is worth every penny. Now, that being said, it does have its flaws as per everything. Is there really a perfect film? No. Film is subjective. Um, as Anna, as, yeah, <laughs> as Ileana said, it is formulaic, but I do believe they use the formula in a very creative way. We haven't seen anything of this caliber in so long. 
because it just reminded me of Atlantis and Treasure Planet, which are one of my favorite Disney films. Iconic. So I, yeah, so I like that we had a warrior Disney princess that didn't break into song, and they didn't make a joke about her not breaking into song, as we usually see in films like Moana. And it does, going into Moana, I do see a lot of people saying that it does not have the same magical like feel that when you watch Moana, you instantly fell in love with it. I concur, but I can see where it comes from because there, um, the thing with this movie is that it does have a problem with tone. There are a t- lot of tonal shifts that do not um, flow very well, but I'm going to be honest. I really liked it. <laughs> um, I love the, um, if we go into details, I liked production design. I liked the directing. I liked the writing. I liked the animation, especially in the beginning with the exposition. It does two types of animation, which are very nice. Um, I like the exploration of Southeast Asian culture, even though it does mix it as though it were in a melting pot, which is a bit of a problem. There are people that do see themselves in this film, which can be said a lot better for this film than for Mulan, unfortunately. The live action one. (laughs) And speaking of which, they tried to do a little bit of Mushu with Aquafina's character, Sisu. It was giving a little Mushu. (laughs) Yeah. It wasn't necessary. (laughs) No. And... One last thing I wanted to mention that I liked before giving it over to Ileana. Um, I really like the battle sequences. I like the choreography, which it feels so weird to me talking about choreography in an animated film, but they handled it so very well. And I was listening um, recently to Diego Andaluz, who is a critic that is usually on the Twitterverse, that it took a lot of inspiration from John Wick, which I found very impressive. It really did. I, um, it, it, if I, I may... The fight choreography is, I think, something really overlooked with, uh, not necessarily overlooked, but not totally talked about when we talk about, like, these bigger animated films. Um, Mm -hmm. Aside from, of course, like, your anime and your other other, um, old school uh, fighting animated films. We're talking about Disney here. For Disney, this fight choreography um you still have to choreograph a fight to be able to draw yeah. it so i think it i think it's okay to to call it choreography it was yeah. very detailed and i was into it it was truly one of the highlights of the film and like you mentioned i do completely uh, agree with the the problem with tonal shifts throughout the movie every tone works where it's put it's just the transition between them can feel mm-hmm. a, it can feel awkward. It can feel yeah. it, it, it's quite a bit awkward, and it's not easy to to have a really really smooth transition into something that's a very serious subject matter. Like this movie is quite a bit darker um, than yeah. a lot of, of of other Disney movies. Like this is um, it's not the first sad Disney movie by any means. But it is a little bit more consistently dark and violent. Um, but I say that for, you know, within the context of, again, this is a movie geared towards children. So don't go in expecting, you know, Legend of Korra. This is not the case. You know, don't, mm-hmm. don't go in thinking this is going to be all, all of those things um, all the time. However, when it does get into those elements of, 
I didn't expect it to be so dystopian. It, it gave me Mad Max as well. I did yes. call it very <laughs> Mad Max. It gave it gave a little bit of Mad Max, a little bit of Lord of the Rings. Um, but yeah, it was Indiana Jones, cool. Tomb Raider. Indiana Jones. <laughs> it was giving me Tomb Raider, and it just had so much inspiration from such great source material for this uh, particular genre that I think it worked really well when they did that. Um, aside from beautiful, uh, beautifully choreographed and animated um, fight scenes, that they were also very emotionally charged a lot of the time. And that balance that they did with the, within the context of those scenes did work very well. And I really liked how we, we had a very, very clear protagonist and antagonist here but it, it we do dive into uh before we see this whole um rivalry i should say um we do get context uh, on the relationship between the uh raya and the antagonist here um her name is mm-hmm. um namari namari Namar- Namar- sorry so namari and raya are immediately my two favorite disney animated characters at the moment (laughs) because they are just so three-dimensional and i think that's wonderful and i love how they didn't go the the mulan route of making uh this huge burly man uh the villain like there is no outright male villain the villain here is more or less uh namari um, yeah. who basically was part of the cause, not the sole cause, because she was a child. You also have to, like, you know, keep in mind that a lot of these characters, when they were children, you know, were taking on a lot of responsibility um, for their people, and, you know, mistakes were made. And- yeah, and you can see it uh, when her mom is teaching the kids how they tell their own history, which tends to happen universally. People tell their own history, and it's easy not to say manipulated, but let's go with that word, into believing a certain truth that is probably not the whole truth. And that is probably the case with Namari, because even when she confronts her own mother, her mother is like, no, once we get the dragon and the gem, we'll be fine, we'll be forgiven. And her mother is very adamant in her beliefs, which is where Namari stands at a point where she doesn't know what to believe in. Which I really like the fact that she's not a true villain. She is an antagonist, but she's not a true villain. Because in her eyes, um, Raya is the villain. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because she saw Raya as hoarding magic and resources from everyone. Yeah. Because they were living in poverty. They didn't even have rice, as they mentioned at the beginning. So clearly, they did not have the same resources as Raya's Kingdom of Heart and Kingdom of Heart. (laughs) And don't it wasn't on purpose i, I know swear. that was the best part i noticed <laughs> i Keep realized you just yeah yeah <laughs> so the kingdom of heart yes and they have that conversation where she's talking with her father and every all the other lands believe the gem to give them prosperity but that is not the case so there is definitely i like how it plays with that whole aspect that history is written by a certain few and it can Mm -hmm. easily be changed oh absolutely and it gave um very friar nation vibes (laughs) yes yeah there's i love how again 
I'm just, you know, shooting names here for you to get to basically understand and get the the energy and the idea the behind this. <laughs> but it's not, I'm not saying, when I mention, oh, it's giving us Fire Nation, it's definitely not a copy-paste. Like, Disney did not yeah. just, you know, rip off all of these stories. They definitely gave their formula a really refreshing twist, and it, it played off very well. It, it was still original, it was still different, but it used those 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 very elements from other places like you know Avatar, Mulan, etc. that worked and made it their own. So I really enjoyed that. Yeah. So yeah. Which I, if I may add, <laughs> no worries. Um, if I may add, I just pointing that out because I have seen some people shy away from the film because of the comparisons to Avatar The Last Airbender not Avatar the Blue Alien film. I really hope and that when I mention, when anyone mentions Avatar <laughs> we have moved as a society past referencing James Cameron's Avatar <laughs> we're, we're not talking about that. We say Avatar, we know Avatar. Just in case if there, if there were any Avatar James Cameron fans out there we're, I'm sorry, we're not addressing I'm that. Not <laughs> So I have, I hope people don't shy away from those comparisons because at the end of the day, um, products with white characters often do repeat tropes and storylines. And it's very upsetting when we see something centering people of color have a similar storyline to something else and people immediately not wanting to give it a chance. Absolutely, because there isn't just, you can't just have one diverse thing and then mm-hmm. say someone else is going to create another diverse thing with some similar traits and mm-hmm. say, oh, they're, they're ripping them off because this is the one. Like, no, you can have a world of different stories and media inspired from one another because at the end of the day, we're human we can only come up with so many ideas at at a certain point especially Mm -hmm. ideas that you know in this industry sell so that's why once again disney with you know its infinite budget at this point um tends to play things very safe and that is one of the not necessarily gripes gripe (laughs) gripe seems a bit strong of a word but it is, it is one of the flaws of Raya, is that it had a lot more potential to push the boundaries with its story and its adventure, and Disney um, played it very safe in a lot of mm-hmm. aspects. And I, I say that not in the sense uh, uh, for someone else to counter-argue and say, well, it's for kids. Kids are very smart beings. Kids yeah. are wonderfully intelligent, and they're like sponges. They, they'll learn quick. You don't have to, you know, spoon feed them all the time. So when I say put, you, you could push the boundaries a little bit, you could have not necessarily, not necessarily have made the story more complex, but dove deeper into lore. Because I thought the lore here was fantastic, but we didn't mm-hmm. get that much. Like, we, we could have built a whole world and, you know, maybe perhaps set it up for a very um, comparable sequel. Um, not necessarily being centered on Raya, but perhaps someone else in this world um, of, you know, Kuandra. Uh, So, yeah, I think it's really beneficial to 
trust the audience's intelligence, um, especially when you have such a large scale film that is mm-hmm. meant for for people of all ages, and you know you you shouldn't sh- have to always shy away from from being a little bit more creative. Not saying that the movie isn't creative, but it you can tell. And we know by now because there was also talk that they had to tone down the fight scenes because they yeah. were kind of violent. Um, where's the director's cut? May I add? <laughs> I honestly, see I mean, we're talking about the director of the Her- Big Hero Six, and then we're talking about the director of Blind Spotting. Give us the director's cut, <laughs> both of them. <laughs> Give us the material. So, so once again, um, with the success, I'm sure this will be, you know. Uh, monetarily speaking this will be a wild success you know disney doesn't miss with these things especially you know money wise um even now during the pandemic they, they've been doing just fine so i again i really hope that they continue to take you know these baby steps towards um pushing the envelope with these films so i did i can't say that i was disappointed by raya uh, by any means necessary mm-hmm. by any means however i did finish the movie feeling like I wanted more. Like, yeah. I just, I wanted a little bit more. So, slight break. We're back. Um, <laughs> what were we even talking about? We want a director's cut. We we love the choreography. We want a director's cut. The choreography is good. I guess, like, also, like, rewriting history and the manipulation of public information. I think that's a very important part of the story. And also... Raya and Namari. <laughs> Are we gonna get into it? <laughs> so, who's ready to go fishing? Because I have some queer bait here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. This is a children's movie. So, mm-hmm. I don't want y'all being nasty. <laughs> with the fanfics. <laughs> yeah. But you can have, and this is proven by mi- many things, but the most popular being Steven Universe, you can mm-hmm. have romance between two women mm-hmm. and have it not be sexualized and be yeah. completely appropriate. In fact, may I say, perhaps even more appropriate than some heterosexual romances that I've seen in children's media. <laughs> yeah. You don't you didn't need they didn't, you don't need the end, you know, lack of chemistry throughout the whole thing and then the end being a kiss and then make everything up. No. Mm-hmm. You know, Nemari betrayed Riot. Like this is this is a complex relationship that they have. See. That's the thing for me, because I remember I had been seeing on Twitter from early reactions that it was a friends to enemies to lovers kind of deal. So I was excited because I thought that's what we were going to get. But it's not that simple. See, it's for me, it is insinuated that they do have a happily ever after and nobody can take that away from me. It gave us very legend of Korra there. Yes, it's very. (laughs) So listen, it's. It's a very complicated story for them, but again, it is a little bit queer baby. But for me, when it comes to them, I think we had to fix what had been broken first. Could we have had a scene where we could see them being a little bit more romantic? Yes. See, I thought, exactly, because I thought that 
like when you mentioned it to me that they were friends when they were little i thought we were also going to get like little bits of them being friends when they were like a little bit older like more adolescent but no they were like 13 no. <laughs> and sworn enemies honey they, it was gone <laughs> there was no chance for them to be like yeah. continue their friendship which was heartbreaking but you could have done that and given us a little bit of something like she could See? For me, Raya did like Namar because he wouldn't be that heartbroken if there wasn't anything deeper there. But, but also, like, that's She the knew her for, like, a couple of hours, to be quite fair. <laughs> she knew her for a couple of hours and said, I'm going to show you my whole life. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to show you. I'm going to risk it all. She showed her. She took her to the gemstone. She On took sight. her to the gemstone. On sight. Raya said, I'm going to risk it all. And she was like 13. <laughs> Told her 13. Well, you know, more or less. She definitely wasn't like a, yeah. a, a, a toddler or anything. No, especially since six years passed by. That would make her like 18. I think she's between 18 and 20 when we fast forward years later. That's also something I really like. And that I don't know if that connects to uh, the wants but, and need of more yeah. like college age um, stories. Like more like but young yeah, adults. Can I say legal? Uh-huh. It must have been, it must have been so frustrating. Like my heart breaks for her, having to grow up, and like especially puberty for a girl, having to do all of that on your own. That's no tough. mother, no father, just That's trying tough. to survive. She and was my heart just, breaks for her. She was she was doing her furiosa fantasy like without a choice. She had no mm-hmm. choice but to be a badass, which she did. But wow, like six mm-hmm. years on your own, looking and searching endlessly for the last dragon um, to mm-hmm. almost no avail until the very last spot. But mm-hmm. it was, I, that is also something that I really love about Raya. You can tell that they actually made her traumatized. Like she didn't just yeah. have this sad story and then just be like, I'm gonna break into song. <laughs> and that's <laughs> that, yeah. that's not her vibe. She even said, I was really shocked. This is a small detail, but I was very shocked when a Disney allowed a woman, in it, especially a woman in an animated film, say, Remind me to not have kids. Yeah, we <laughs> had no choice but to stand. Like I, she was very, very vocal about her 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 position and what how why she did the things she did, why she believed the things she believed, and and how it came about, because humans are so much more complicated than merely mm-hmm. I'm a warrior, I'm gonna avenge my father, we're out here vibing and thriving. No, yeah, she knew that like low key that she this was probably a fruitless endeavor. Like, mm-hmm. she went on for six years searching for this dragon that most likely, you know, the chances of her finding the last dragon were slim to none. So it was very, very, um, of course, convenient for the story. But I digress. Um, I just, they made, they made her an emo badass warrior with feelings, with complex um, emotions, and that's really the highlight of the film. Now, with we've, we've gone on about Raya for a hot minute. <laughs> I really like, though I feel like it was a bit clunky in execution, and we'll get into it, but I like how they brought in the found family trope. 
I love a good I I love a good found family. I love found family and stories, especially in film, and to see that in a Disney movie here. Um, I'm not saying it's the first one. I just can't remember right mm-hmm. now. But this is like the yeah. most. This is the most found family trope I have felt in a hot minute with Disney because usually it's just it's a very tight knit group. Like it's maybe like two or three people maybe or characters, and here you have like a group of five or or six characters. So again, it does fe- feel very big Hero Six, which is completely appropriate, mm-hmm. um, given the director. But it just works so well. Um, in this type of story, especially in a dystopian story where they do touch on death a lot. Like, death is, yeah. a, is a very prominent topic in this. Death, you know, you have death, culture, politics. Um, they, again, trusting people. The, the whole movie is yeah. based on trust, but it's not yeah. Peter Pan. And setting your pride aside for the greater good of, like, humanity and community. And what I really liked, because a lot of people have been criticizing the baby, and I get it. <laughs> we can get into that soon. But what I liked about that is that you can see how trauma can affect any age. And I know it's a little bit exaggerated to like be like, yes, trauma affected this baby. But people lose their parents sometimes when they're very young, and then they never know them. Like, what if Nye would have never seen her mom again, or her family? Exactly. Or, or I forgot his name. The the guy from Spine lost his entire village, his entire yeah. community. He was alone. Yeah, when I, that that when, was a shock to me. Yeah. Yeah. Dark. When I I can't remember right now his name, but um, <laughs> the tiny cook. <laughs> when I love him so much. he tells Raya, yeah, when he tells Raya that she's not the only one that's lost someone. And it, I, I like how they drove that home, that a tragedy can affect anyone, no matter the age, no matter where you come from. And it's important to sympathize with that, that we all do carry something on our backs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it does get easy to become like, you know, very self-involved when you, you've gone through a, a tragedy or a trauma. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you wouldn't get it. Like, no, <laughs> especially in this story. You, the entire group lost someone to this very same plague uh, because they call it the, the monster. It, it's very, also, I don't know if you're going to get this reference, but it's very Calamity Ganon. Like, even the animation and all that, that's from Breath of the Wild. It's from Zelda. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, not specifically Breath of the Wild exclusively, but you know what I mean. Zelda fans out there. It gave me Calamity Ganon, and I liked it. Um, that's the only thing that I will, like, tiptoe into saying damn that's really similar because the color and the animation of the the droom they call it um in, mm-hmm. the, in the movie it is almost exactly like the monster in the video game breath of the wild uh, calamity ganon <laughs> um so so yeah that's aside from that it's still fun it's still very good but mm-hmm. going back to the found family i think that the characters were very endearing but i didn't feel though i loved um the the story with them i didn't feel we spent enough time with them to develop like that emotional attachment i guess yeah just kind of see yeah like you feel you don't feel as involved with the with the group like it is i get it it's raya and the last dragon so we really just are just focusing on raya but it it couldn't decide whether or not it was a raya and um isuzu movie or Araya yeah. and this group of, you know, 
found family or, or not orphans. I was going to say orphans. Like, they're not all orphans, you know, because one of them's, you yeah. know, an actual father and an adult. But, yeah, just this, this group yeah. of uh, not mischiefs. I mean, at the end of the day, the story is basically Raya trying to bring back Comadre. Exactly. It's she, she, her main um, motivation for her was to bring back her dad. But not only that, behind that, with behind every move she made, she was intentionally or unintentionally trying to bring to, uh, people back together. And it, even if she couldn't bring back her dad, bring back his legacy and what he was, you know, working so hard to to achieve. And yeah, I think the the moral of the story about um, human behavior, human trust, loss, and how people as a society deal with it. Um, I've seen some people comment that this is like really. I hate I hate when people say everything so timely because no crap it's coming out at this time <laughs> you're gonna relate to it because for something that's happening at the moment but it is mm-hmm. really timely um <laughs> the way that this nation even though it's you know in this fantasy world this nation um collectively is experiencing grief and loss and yes we do get a happy ending here um which i i understand because again it's a disney film um but it didn't hit me as hard as Onward did. Because Onward, oh. we're not going to go into Onward. Yeah, Onward hits you hard. And it's not it's mm-hmm. a happy ending, but it's still bittersweet. Because you still have, there's still something at stake. Um, whereas in Raya, everything's just like wrapped up in, you know, a pretty little bow at the end. And instead of fireworks, there's a bunch of dragons. <laughs> Spoiler alert, the dragons yeah. come back. <laughs> Woohoo! It's beautiful though, aesthetically, like visually. It is gorgeous. It just go if you just want to go in for the animation. Oh, you will not be disappointed. This is a beautiful, beautiful film. Um, it does have a lot of heart. It is very charming. Um, but yeah, if you can kind of not be, if you can be pretty unbothered about how awkward it is in tone and sometimes also in pacing. Uh. Because it does, it, it, when it tries to mm-hmm. go between, after, like, the first act, I feel like it just kind of lost its footing a little bit in terms of pacing. So it does feel kind of oddly timed. But aside from that, it's still totally enjoyable. Very beautiful film. But, yeah. The the baby was numb. I don't know. I just feel like the... No. If, if it just felt... Uh, kind of out of touch <laughs> i don't it know it, just, illu- it was weird it, it, it felt very illumination yeah. so if you can ignore the baby like the baby's not in it that much like the you know con baby it's mm-hmm. fine it's literally fine but it's it's just beautiful it's a beautiful film and it's a beautiful i think film. that I think that it deserves a chance especially yes though it is not direct representation of any particular culture and it's just kind of a blanket representation i'm gonna call it Mm -hmm. Uh, which can be problematic uh, when you look at it that way however we also have um let me come back to it we also have avatar which is also um very much uh, a melting pot in a fantasy world inspired by asian cultures from all Mm -hmm. over the world 
it, it does expand more, obviously, but it obviously doesn't um, directly, quote unquote, represent a certain particular culture. You know, you don't have like um, in the show or in the story directly Chinese cultures or directly Inuit cultures. You have, you know, different names for different cultures yeah. that are inspired heavily from the real world, but of course adapted to a fantasy setting. Because I would say that Avatar is, is pretty fantasy. Um, yeah. Yeah. Also, it's a TV show, and this is a movie. And 100%. I think they handled exposition and um, presenting you who these people are, where they come from, and everything rather well. It was creative, especially when Raya was going on about, like, her father asked her, oh, what do you know about the lands? And I'm like, smart. And she was like, yes, this one, and the terrifying cats, and the huge axes. And I'm like, I immediately know what's going on. Yeah, it was so very prop- practical. Yeah. Props to them for, like, making their way around that. <laughs> yeah, because it could have easily just done a prologue, you know, stick it on and be done with it. But they, they did weave in the the explanation, the context of the world that we're diving into um, mm-hmm. pretty seamlessly. It does, it, you know, again, in those moments, sometimes you can feel like, okay, this was clearly put here for a reason, but it's fine. It, it works. Mm-hmm. It definitely works well. So, like I said... The, the first act, I cannot complain about because I feel like it does flow very well. It's just like in the second and third act where things get a little bit bumpy. But again, aside from that, wonderful film. And I think you, you should watch it. <laughs> you should just watch yeah. it. I think it's fun. It definitely, yeah, it definitely gets a two thumbs up from us. <laughs> Absolutely. And if you want to... Um, check us out on our socials and and what see what other other little bits and bobs we're chatting about um you can follow me on twitter and instagram at captain melendez and you can follow josie where at the josie marie on twitter and letterboxd and you can also follow film posers uh, at film posers basically everywhere and check out Ileana's written review for Ryan the Last Dragon over at Full Circle Cinema. Which will be out by the time this comes out, so it's fine. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, I'll, I'll give my, my you know more detailed review uh, in written form with my rating and all that jazz, but definitely make sure to also subscribe to Full Circle Cinema and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and keep up with our news and reviews over on fullcirclecinema.com. Links will be down below as always. And this has been a really fun review. I had a lot of fun with this one today. I liked it. D- yeah. Disney, keep, keep us fed. Keep, keep us fed with the quality. <laughs> Anyways, we'll see y'all next time. Bye. Bye.